Welcome to Gays with Kids, a podcast about creating and raising families together. My name's David Dodge. I'm the executive editor of Gays with Kids. And today we're gonna be discussing a Supreme Court case, Fulton v. Philadelphia, that was decided on June 17th of this year. The case has important implications for LGBTQ people who want to serve as foster parents, as well as for the over 400,000 foster youth who exist in the system all across the country, about one in three of whom identifies LGBTQ themselves. Just by way of background, this case came before the Supreme Court after Catholic Social Services, a faith-based foster care agency, refused to license same-sex couples as foster parents, despite a provision in Philadelphia's contract that prohibits all contractors from discriminating in this way. As we'll get into, the case was very narrowly decided, very much so impacting LGBTQ people in Philadelphia, as well as foster youth there. But this still has really important implications for all of us across the country uh, in our ongoing quest to try to end discrimination policies against queer people who are uh, just trying to form their families through the adoption and foster care systems, as well as for the youth out there that need homes. To discuss the implications of the case, we're going to be joined by Julie Cruza, the Director of Federal Policy of Family Equality, and Weston Charles Gallo, a former foster youth. Thank you both so much for being with us. We're very excited to be talking about this case today with you both. So I figured, Julie, why don't we just start with you, because I think there's a lot of confusion around what this case means. I think a lot of people are very used to just looking at the, you know, the polarization in the Supreme Court. And if it's the progressive justices and the in the winning side, then, you know, it's our win and vice versa if it's the uh, conservative side. But this was a unanimous decision, um, which I think has a lot of people scratching their heads. Um, but can you just kind of uh, break down exactly where we're at with the case and and how in some ways this could have been worse for, for us and how it could have maybe been better? The court really said that there was something in the contract with Catholic Social Services um, that made it clear that in other areas, organizations get exemptions. So Catholic Social Service should get an exemption from its contract in this case. Um, We don't agree with that logic, uh, but it allows Catholic Social Services to continue to get funding from the city of Philadelphia Uh, actually requires Philadelphia to continue to fund them, even though they don't follow Philadelphia city law, um, which is a real problem. But the the good news outside of Philadelphia is it doesn't impact anywhere else. So where does that leave us? There are many states uh, and uh, cities with protections uh, against discrimination. Those haven't been impacted anywhere outside of Philadelphia. And uh, we're working with the Biden administration. There was actually a national rule uh, prohibiting discrimination against LGBTQ people in foster care. And uh, the Trump administration stopped enforcing that rule. And the Biden administration has not started enforcing that rule. And they could do that with a stroke of a pen. So we are pushing the Biden administration um, to, again, make foster care discrimination unlawful nationwide. They have the authority to do that immediately. Um, And if you want to join the effort to get them to do the right thing quickly, uh, you can go to everychilddeservesafamily.com and join the Every Child Deserves a Family campaign. So, I mean, I think some of the confusion around the outcome of the case is that the other side, you know, anti-LGBTQ groups um, projected it as a total victory for them. And it was not that. And the reason that uh, that they did that is so that they could 
in essence, give other organizations a license to discriminate, empower people to discriminate against LGBTQ people, LGBTQ families and children in particular. However, the case was a narrow loss. And that is a hard loss. And we really feel for families in Philadelphia, for young LGBTQ people in foster care in Philadelphia. I have heard from many of them. They find this very discouraging. So what I would say to folks in Philadelphia is that we see you, we support you, we will continue to fight for you. Um, if you are a young person, yes, it's sad that this agency is turning away families that could be a family for you. And if you're LGBTQ, could be an affirming family. Um, but foster youth did not lose any rights in this decision. This was a decision that allowed discrimination against adults. Uh, it still impacts the children though too. And I think one of the downsides of the ruling is that they didn't put anything in the ruling about LGBTQ foster youth. And uh, those are the youth that will be deprived of affirming families. So I was surprised that even the liberal justices didn't notice that or think that worthy of mention. Um, and then to LGBTQ families in Philadelphia, this is really dispiriting because it really targeted you. Um, but please do not give up on the dream of creating your family. Do not give up on foster care. Foster children need you. Uh, if you want to foster it to adopt, there's uh, many children eligible for adoption. Groups like Philadelphia Family Pride uh, are there in the city for you. Groups like Family Equality are there for you if you run into trouble. But there are other agencies in Philadelphia that will serve you. So please don't give that dream of forming your family up. And so we're going to get much more into the policy of this all and ways that people can get involved. But Weston, I, I want to bring you in here. You, you're both a former foster youth and an advocate. So I think you have some great experience um, in this world, obviously, to share with us. And, and so I'm wondering if you can kind of help people understand the implications of this policy. So why, why is it important for LGBTQ people to be able to adopt and foster through the system? Yeah, so I would say that it's important for same-sex couples to be able to foster and adopt because, um, for instance, in my situation, my dad really showed me what it was like to, you know, to see the true marriage of you know, marriage and have a normal life and really giving me the idea to be able to express the true meaning of family. And so before I lived with them, I really never pictured myself marrying someone or anything like that. But my two dads really showed me um, like what it was like to be gay and to have a family and kind of like break through those barriers and kind of eliminate a lot of those stigmas that same-sex couples do get. And I think that in the conversation of same-sex couples like fostering and adopting, the essential mission is to give children in need the safety, stability, and love that is often missing within, you know, um, youth who are in the foster care system. And so instead of like turning away same-sex couples because of, you know, personal bias or, you know, religious freedoms, we should be thinking what's best, what's, what's in the best interest of the child. And, you know, these, you, these, um, same-sex couples are going through trainings and things like that. So why are we eliminating their right to be able to foster and adopt when we should only be building more affirming families for youth in care? When I was in care, um, there was a situation that I couldn't find affirming placements. You know, I was in residentials, I was in group homes just because no one wanted to take in a gay black teenager. And so if it wasn't for my two dads being able to take a chance on me, I wouldn't be here today. I mean, I don't think that I would be here today for one. For two, I don't think that I would have ever found an affirming family because I was from a very rural community. The population was like 856 people. So the um, support, the connections, the resources to bigger cities to find more affirming placements were almost 
you know, eliminated. And so that's kind of like my personal story and understanding that it's important for same-sex couples to have the right to foster and adopt. And we shouldn't eliminate their right to do so. Absolutely. And I think this is something that a lot of people might not fully understand about the foster care system. Like Julie said, this this ruling really was one that is discriminating against the LGBTQ adults that we're talking about here. But um, there are thousands of LGBTQ foster youth in the system. And as you're saying, the ability to be living with an affirming family had a huge impact. I mean, it seems like a, a overwhelming impact on your on your life. I, I know here in New York City, I think they estimate up to like 30% of foster youth identify as LGBTQ. I also know we don't have great statistics on this yet. And we're hopefully going to be getting more and better statistics under the Biden administration. Um, but just, I guess, from the foster youth that uh, you knew while in the system and then just a- as an advocate too, uh, what is this impact on LGBTQ foster youth and what, what should people know about that? Yeah, so um, the statistic is, right, so it is nearly, you know, one in three um foster care youth who are in the system do identify as LGBTQ youth. So about 400,000 youth are in the system and nearly 30% of those youth are LGBTQ. And I think that essentially that this just, uh, for me in my personal journey and navigating through the foster care system as a gay black teenager, it was often hard for me to, I often found myself really shaping myself and kind of like being like a chameleon, kind of like masking myself, trying to like kind of, um, adapt and change and grow and not grow and kind of just like keep my own personal like um the way I identified kind of to myself just because I was so fearful that I wouldn't find a forever family and I know that that's so many um of other LGBTQ youth in care and that's honestly their truth too because we're often so you know we're discriminated within the system because we're black or because we're gay or you know all these different things and so essentially what we really want is just love and support and it's often you know it's also it's often missing because of the way we identify and not what's in here, which is our heart. Just to be a kid, I mean, essentially we all want to be loved and cared for. And so why are we being turned away? And why are we having such a hard time? Because I mean, in my personal belief, I don't believe that being gay is a choice. And I don't believe that being gay defines who I am. So why can't I find a family? So the data show, uh, multiple census data showed that same-sex couples are seven times more likely to foster and seven times more likely to adopt than opposite-sex couples. And they're more likely to foster and adopt hard-to-place kids, including older kids, like Weston was an older kid when he was adopted, uh, likely to foster and adopt large sibling groups and kids with disabilities. So uh, they're really a great resource for the system for all kids. um, And it's tragic for all kids when uh, families are are turned away. Um, and there was one thing that the Supreme Court said in this decision, which they said, if Catholic Social Services Services doesn't keep its contract, less children will find families. And I, I was discouraged that the liberal justices signed on to that because that is not true. Kids will find more families when there are more families. And that's when everybody who is could make a good parent uh is accepted, um, you know, if they meet all the criteria. Um, but if they're turned away for reasons that have nothing to do with their ability to parent, that just hurts kids in care. So there are states across the country that have great, strong anti-discrimination laws. And there are, I think, um, by my last count, 11 states that have passed laws that specifically allow discrimination 
in uh, foster care systems and, and other systems as well. Can you give the, a little bit of an understanding of the lay of the land state by state, um, where you're seeing the movements going after this case? So there are 11 states that have passed laws, license to discriminate laws, allowing foster care and adoption agencies to discriminate. And in at least eight of those states, that includes taxpayer funded agencies. So agencies that get taxpayer dollars to serve everyone, to serve the public, uh, have a license to discriminate uh, and turn away um, people who don't meet their criteria, which uh, often includes LGBTQ people, often includes single people, often includes um, religious minorities and non-religious people. And the ironic thing is that the Americans United for Separation of Church and State in a separate case is representing a Catholic family that was turned away by a born again Protestant agency. So, you know, here we have a Catholic agency wanting to turn away LGBTQ people and then uh, a born again Protestant agency turning away Jews and Catholics. And um, you can just see how uh, you really start really narrowing the, the pool of families available to kids. So on the other side, um, the good news is that in 25 states, it's illegal to discriminate against lesbian, gay, and bisexual youth in foster care. Unfortunately, only in 15 states is that true for transgender kids. So in 15 states, transgender kids are protected from discrimination. And then in just seven states and the District of Columbia, uh, is discrimination against LGBTQ adults in foster care prohibited. So um, the kind of protections that Philadelphia has uh, on a statewide level only exists in seven states in the District of Columbia, which is why it's so important to um, pass a national law like the John Lewis Every Child Deserves a Family Act, like the Equality Act that bars discrimination in federally funded child welfare services everywhere. But there are many other cities and jurisdictions. And as I said, they are there are federal protections that would cover the whole country um, if the Biden administration would simply act to um, resume enforcement of, of that regulation, which is there. That said, all of this points to the need to have a national law barring this kind of discrimination. And some people think, well, the Bostock ruling said that sex discrimination includes discriminate, you know, discrimination against LGBTQ people, and it does. The problem is there is no national law barring sex discrimination in foster care and adoption. So if there were a law barring sex discrimination, we'd be covered. But there's not. And so that kind of law needs to be passed. And there's two laws that are critically important here. Uh, one is the John Lewis Every Child Deserves a Family Act, which bars discrimination in foster care and adoption uh, based on sex, sexual orientation, gender identity, and also religion and marital status. Because as I said, that type of discrimination is really common, often goes hand in hand with like a someone using a the excuse of their faith as a reason to turn people away, and they have a whole list of people they want to turn away. Um, and the other bill, of course, is the Equality Act that would bar uh, discrimination in sex, sexual orientation, gender identity in every federally funded program, um, including foster care and adoption. And so we need to pass those laws. Our families need them. Our kids need them to have nationwide protections. So and what is your understanding or why do you think that the liberal justices did sign on to this opinion? I've heard some people say that they think it's because if they hadn't, it could have been a much worse outcome for our community. But um, that, yeah, I think that's just conjecture. Do you have any ideas why? 
Um, I'm not the attorney from our team, so uh, I'm not going to speak on behalf of family equality, but in speaking on behalf of myself, um, I do. I think uh, I think that John Roberts did not want to overturn the precedent uh, that says if you apply a law neutrally to everybody, it covers religious groups too, because it would be so dangerous to overturn that. I mean, imagine if you had, for example, a Jewish organization that feeds prisoners and they say, you know what, we're not going to feed prisoners on Saturday. It's against our religion. Um, and then people don't eat for a day. If you have people turned away uh, from emergency shelters. Um, so, uh, you know, it really, it really does become life and death. And I think, you know, the fact that, that even Kavanaugh and Barrett said, we need to not go quickly on this. This is a big, big deal. Um, and I think the liberal justices saw how narrowly tailored this ruling was and uh, saw it as a contracting issue and decided to thread this needle this way. We disagree with them on the merits on the contracting issue. We think the circuit, the appeals court was correct in its unanimous ruling on behalf of the city of Philadelphia. Um, but uh, the liberal justices are in a very small minority on the court right now. This is why voting matters, everyone. So Weston, you've been very active in the lead up to this court case, um, testifying on, on Capitol Hill, um, giving speeches and, and all sorts of other things to make sure people understand your experience and where you're coming from. Um, can you talk a little bit about that? What's your advocacy been like? Uh, what was it like in the lead up to the court decision? Yeah, so I really began advocacy when I realized that I really wanted to elevate my voice and kind of talk about, you know, the importance of, you know, elevating stories within LGBTQ youth in the foster care system, just because not a lot of individuals are really talking about these issues and really talking about how crucial it is to understand that discrimination within the child welfare system is such an issue. And we have to understand that non-discrimination laws do save lives. When I was navigating through the foster care system and then I was placed with my dad's, I was nearly on the verge of suicide before my two dads really saved my life. Yeah, and so I really began advocacy, you know, in relation to speaking on the terms of having two gay dads and also being a firm of foster care youth just because the voices there um, are not being elevated or supported in the way that they should be. Um, I was, you know, given the opportunity to speak in front of the Ways and Means Committee, kind of talking about how to make the lives for foster care youth better. And I understand that it's so crucial for there to be professionals who are working with foster care youth to actually, you know, receive the trainings and being able to give those support and resources to foster care youth so they can feel supported and feel um, protected when they do have situations that arise at where they don't feel comfortable in situations. So we have developed the webinar series here at Gays with Kids that walks uh, gay, bi, and trans men who are interested in becoming dads through foster care, through various different aspects of it. And we have an entire webinar that's dedicated to um, adopting older youth in the system who are at risk of aging out. Um, and it really was one of the most impactful webinars that I I have done with Gays with Kids. And we have done a lot of these at this point. Um, and I'll, we had a, a youth from the organization Foster Club on with us who, a young woman who um, told us a story where she was 15 years old when she first entered the system. And she was a proud out lesbian and was placed with a family in Salt Lake City, Utah, who was not affirming of her sexual orientation and sent her back. And that message was such a strong one to her at that age. Uh, where she went into the closet for the rest of her time in care and she didn't feel comfortable coming out, even if the family might have been uh, affirming and, and she ended up aging out of the system without finding uh, an inclusive uh, adopted 
parents. So I'm wondering, uh, Weston, it's uh, so great that you were able to find two gay dads that were uh, that, that adopted you, but a lot of older youth that doesn't happen to uh, every day. So can you talk about the risks uh, associated with youth that do age out of the system and what that term even really means? Yeah, so um, it's so unfortunate to hear situations like that, given I was adopted by my two gay dads, you know, and I always get all the time, oh, you're so lucky that you were adopted. You know, you're a gay teenager and you were adopted by two gay dads who, you know, have taken you on, like, kind of to, like, mentor you and kind of, like, build you into the man that you, you know, are today. And I feel like I'm not lucky. I feel like we all are deserving of a family. And that's why I'm such a big advocate for Every Child Deserves a Family Act and the, you know, the John Lewis bill. It's so unfortunate that youth have to kind of like step back into closet or fear or are so fearful, you know, to be themselves because, you know, at the end of the day, they just want a family. And I know for me that I had a hard time dealing with my sexuality, you know, navigating through being in the system and then, you know, being placed in the with my two gay dads who showed me that it's okay to be black, it's okay to be white, it's okay to be gay, you know, it's okay to be femme even, you know? And so like, there were all these these different avenues and different intersectionalities that I thought that made me, you know, look weird or awkward or anything, but you know, it was so embraced by my two gay dads, you know, it was embraced, it was embraced by my family. And I think that, you know, these risks when we're, you know, discriminating youth in care, you know, we are, we're heightening the rate of suicide we're not giving these youth the right proper, you know, support and resources to feel, you know, to reach their full potential. You know, for me, I never thought that I would end up like I had this whole idea that, you know, I was in foster care, you know, I, I, you know, wouldn't go to college or I wouldn't be successful or, you know, I constantly have the stigma of my biological dad, you know, wrapped around me and all of those different things. And I feel like I knew where I wanted to be and I knew where I didn't want to be. And I think that we have to understand that just because we had a very unfortunate past doesn't mean that we can't rewrite the future. You know, we all are in you know control of our own journey. And so I think that's what means a lot. Julie, how can just, you know, average people listening to this podcast um, who are, again, gay, gay, bi and trans dads and our, our allies and uh, queer men who hope to become dads, what can they be doing now to uh, to make a difference. So we hope that everybody listening to this podcast will engage. If you're interested in this issue in particular, we would love for you to join the Every Child Deserves a Family campaign. It's free. You can join at everychilddeservesafamily.com. We have over 700 members, uh, a lot of organizations, but also a lot of individuals uh, from the child welfare field, uh, LGBTQ people, uh, civil rights organizations and faith organizations working together to uh, end discrimination against LGBTQ people in foster care and improve foster care for LGBTQ and other marginalized groups and people with intersectional identities. But as you heard from Weston, people involved in the child welfare system um, need to uh, learn how to work with and affirm LGBTQ youth. The Trevor Project just came out with a mental health survey of 40,000 youth and found that LGBTQ foster youth are three times more likely to contemplate suicide um, than LGBTQ youth who aren't in foster care. And that number is higher for LGBTQ youth of color and highest for trans and gender non-conforming foster youth. So um, it, as, as Weston said, it's life or death. If the national data shows what the localized studies show, which is much higher rates of homelessness, criminal and justice involvement, being trafficked, aging out of care, um, then states and localities need to do something about it and fix it. But until you have the data, you can't do that. 
Um, so we encourage everyone to join everychildeservesafamily.com, work with Family Equality and the many other groups uh, that are working to transform the system and to pass the John Lewis Every Child Deserves a Family Act. John Lewis rewrote the act two years ago. Uh, it used to be a much simpler act, and now, it, as I said, has gone way beyond non-discrimination because he realized we needed to transform the system, and not just for LGBTQ youth, but for everybody. Uh, so one of the great pieces in the bill is it takes um, language uh, protections that exist for runaway and homeless youth that says every person working with this youth has to be trained to affirm a child's complex social identity, including race, national origin, language, religion, spirituality, sexual orientation, gender identity, ability, and more. And so you know, if every if every caseworker, every person coming in touch with a foster youth had to be trained on respecting that child's identity, um, this system would be so much better for everyone. So we we are very excited. Every major child welfare agency, including the ones with hundreds of thousands of members, like the National Association of Social Workers and Child Welfare League of America, they are all in, they are our co-chairs on this work. They co-chair the Every Child Deserves a Family campaign. And that is because they know that foster care is disastrous for one in three kids in care. And you're not going to fix foster care unless you fix this. And, and they are all in. So that's the good news um, is that every, really all of the advocates in the system want to fix this. And and, and, and know it's a disaster and know it needs to change. And the last point I'd like to make is that there are a lot of faith-based agencies doing a wonderful job because their faith calls them to affirm every child as perfect in the eyes of God and perfect as they are. And um, so there are many, many agencies of all different faiths doing this work. Uh, that are LGBTQ affirming. And one major example is the largest evangelical Protestant agency in the country, Bethany Christian Services, uh, which has services in 32 states, um, just created a policy that they are going to work with um, same-sex couples everywhere that they have services. So if they can do it, um, everyone can do it. And um, that's what it's going to take. It's going to take the agencies. Uh, that are doing a great job for HHS to fund studies to make sure that those programs work and then replicate those across the country and then for other agencies to continue on the journey to just do better. Um, so I think we have cause for optimism because there's a will, but we need to act because it's not just going to happen on its own. It's not going to happen by accident. It needs to be very intentional. So, you know, we at Gays with Kids, we cover every path to parenthood that's available to gay, bi, and trans men. We cover surrogacy, adoption, foster care, co-parenting arrangements, everything that is available to us, uh, which, you know, a lot of really new and exciting ways that we're forming our families. Um, but when you learn about foster care in particular, I think it's very difficult not to be uh, touched and inspired as an LGBTQ person to, to understand that this is something that really impacts our community. They, they, are, they are kids that are part of our community in care. Uh, and I really do see it as um, a calling to our community to be taking care of our own um, in large ways. Um, so, you know, with that said, we were very encouraging of, again, any route that's that's the perfect route for you. Uh, but we do have lots of gay, bi, and trans men who come to us eager to learn more about foster care. So I'll also just say, so, you know, I, I, <laughs> I live in like a tiny studio apartment in Manhattan. I will never be able to get certified as a foster parent in my current living situation. So I will also say for anyone listening that's inspired by this, but 
um, maybe can't uh, become a foster parent themselves right now. There are plenty of other ways to uh, support the foster care system. You can become a mentor. You can become a court advocate. Um, so definitely do your research and look into other ways. Uh, we have plenty of resources on our site at gayswithkids.com. And uh, I can't thank our guests enough for helping us wrap our mind around what this case means and for understanding that this is just the beginning. It's not over. We will be continuing to monitor all of the uh, progress around these bills that um, Julie and Weston have educated us on. Um, so do look out for more on our website and please visit uh, Family Equality for more information as well. So again, thank you so much to Julie Cruza, Director of Federal Policy from Family Equality and Weston Charles Gallo, a former foster youth and a foster care advocate. Thank you both so much for the work you're doing and for and spending some time with us here today. Thank you, David. Thank you so much.